I miss paper tickets. Everything's digital now, and um, back uh, in the summertime, we had the World Games here at Birmingham. It's just an incredible event to host and showcase our city to the world. And I bought tickets to the medal round of Ultimate Frisbee. And the good news is that the United States was playing in the gold medal match. So my 14-year-old Walker uh, and I went together, and I mean, we got on, you know, all our America gear. We're going to cheer on America, America. And we're going to go yell loud for the red, white, and blue. And we got to the ticket gate, and, you know, I scanned my digital ticket. Did I mention I missed paper tickets? And um, I had the wrong ticket. Amen. Uh, I, I had... I had tickets to the morning session instead of the evening medal round. And I was pretty upset because I consider myself like, like technologically savvy enough. And, uh, and, and the, the website was very confusing. It made it feel like it was an all-day pass that I was buying. So I had to buy two extra tickets to the evening session for the medal round. But at least they were selling tickets. Imagine you get to the end of it all, the end of the road, the end of your life, the bridge between here and eternity. Maybe we call them the pearly gates. Right? And we get ready. To, to walk in and you've thought all along that you know where you're headed. And you've got the wrong ticket. And the box office is closed. And it's not so much that you had a ticket to a bad thing. It's, it's, it's just that you had a ticket to the wrong thing. And that's a really, 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 really bad time to discover the answer to the question. Aren't they all the same? In the next three weeks, we're going to unpack this. And we're going to, I'm going, I hope to give you some clarity about this answer. And by the time we're done today, I want to, hopefully lay it out clearly how you can make sure that you have the right ticket when it's all said and done. Hey, my name is Carter McInnes, and I'm lead pastor here at Mountaintop, and I'm so honored that you are here on this absolutely gorgeous day uh, in Birmingham. Thank you if you're brand new here. Thanks for being here, and for many of you, I see each and every Sunday, it's always awesome to see your face. Some of you are watching online from around the city or all over the world, and we're just so grateful that uh, you're tuning in uh, to see this. Aren't all religions kind of basically the same? Aren't they all the same? Is an important question, and it's one that lots of people wonder about, and perhaps even you have asked that question. And our answer to it, it shapes how we engage faith daily. It, in, it, it, it shapes how we see ourselves as part of uh, God's mission and God's church. Um, and whether or not it makes a difference in eternity or not. 
This series is for skeptics and people who have questions. And it's a little bit of what I'm going to call an apologetic series. And if you don't know what that word means, don't worry, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more in just a minute and explain what that term means. And so this series, and particularly today, we're, we're, going, to have, we're going to have to dissect a little few more Greek words than normal to understand kind of the richness of, of what the scriptures are telling us. One of the things that I love to say that I want to be true about Mountaintop is that we want to be a safe place for dangerous questions. We want to be a safe place for people to ask dangerous questions. And if you are a skeptic, let's face it, the church has given you some reason to ask some questions. Right? We, we became compromised over the last 2,000 years by the Roman Empire to become a civil religion. We turned into a conquest through the Crusades. We've mixed politics in the middle of evangelicalism now to create a kind of Christian nationalism. And all of that is to go on top of the scandals of abuse and fraud and inappropriate relationships and behavior and immorality by pastors and church leaders. Man, I get it. I get it. And there are questions, too, about Christianity itself. Like, is Christianity, was it just something for the ancients 2,000 years ago, but it's no longer relevant today? And how does it even really compare or, uh, to all the other religions of modern times? I mean, aren't they, aren't they just all the same? Well, the answer to the question is no. No. In fact... Thinking people know if they have studied any of the world's religions, if you've studied just two or three, you would know to even ask that question, to say, aren't they all the same, would just be to say that, that you don't know much about what the world religions teach. Because clearly when you look into different religions, it is clear that they are not the same. So each week in this series, we're going to answer a question inside that larger question, aren't they all the same? And you're going to figure out really quickly how kind of, it, they're all rhetorical questions. The answer to all of them is no, but I want you to know why. Why the answer is no and what it means, not just in the grand scope of understanding Christianity, but what it means for your life. One of our hearts here is to equip followers of Jesus. So I want to equip followers of Jesus to be able to do what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3 in what is kind of a theme verse for this series. This is what Peter said, always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. So be able to answer for the hope. We sang about that hope. I mean, my, no other hope. Holy smokes. The music was incredible this morning. Can I just say that? Good gracious. I told my wife, Emily, I got to pull myself together and go preach now. Like, um, incredible. Like, we have this hope that we sing about that just fills us. But Peter says, I want you to have an answer for that hope, to be able to talk about it. 
But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, I mentioned the word apologetic earlier, um, or apologetics, and maybe you have heard that term. That is a theological term that comes from this passage. It actually comes from the first part of the passage. This word here, where it says, always be prepared to give an answer. This was Peter, all the New Testament is originally written in Greek, and this word is actually apologeo. It means an answer given in reply. And this verse launched an entire, um, an entire discipline in theological academics called apologetics. So it's kind of weird because you and I, when we say apology, that means to say you're sorry for something, right? So in our language, it kind of is hard to understand. Like, are we saying we're sorry for, Christ- for being Christians? No, it means that it, this is an, an intellectual discourse to be able to give a reasoned response to our faith or to give a, uh, to give a, a systematic defense of the Christian faith. So I want to equip Christians as part of this series to be able to give a reasoned response as well as address some questions that skeptics or questioners have if, if you're a part of that. But it's so important to do what Peter says to couple this. It is not just about having a reasoned response. It is not just having an intellectual defense of our faith because, do you remember what Peter said? He, he said, be prepared to give an answer. We want to have a reasoned response, apologeo, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have, but do this with gentleness and respect that if we don't couple our intellectual response with good actions, it will fall flat. Good actions, Peter says, good actions give credibility to good answers. Good actions give credibility to good answers. Now listen, we all, we all fall short. So if you're sitting there going like, Uh, Carter, I don't want someone to, we all fall short. I do, gosh, I do, we all fall short. What Peter is saying is that we should strive to live in a way. We should strive to live in a way so that if people don't like our good answers, they can't not like our good actions. Peter would say, like, even if people disagree with you, live in such a way that they can't disagree with who you are. So really, this series is is talking about a couple of, of our values that we always link together. This series is about truth. We're going to look at what the truth of Scripture says. And that's what Peter's wanting to tell people. I want to give, you need to understand what the truth of the Christian faith is. An, an apologeo, a good answer. But you have to do this with grace. And in our values here at Mountaintop Church, we always say those are the two values that they're just always married together. You always have to have truth coupled with grace. We want to share the gr- truth, but... Peter says if we don't do it, if we don't couple it with grace, it will fall flat. Other, in, other, in other words, 
If we have the right answer but not the right actions, our apologetics will need an apology because of our behavior. Peter says that's not what we want to be. So the question that we're going to tackle this week in the midst of this big question, aren't they all the same, is don't good people from all religions go to heaven? I mean, don't good people just kind of from all religions go to heaven? Don't they all just kind of tell you how to be good, how to have a good afterlife? Well, the answer to that question is, guess what? No. Because they don't even all have an afterlife. Not all religions even teach an afterlife. They have different definitions of good. Some aren't even necessarily concerned with good. So let me tell you what this series is not. It is not about picking apart other religions. Today I'm going to talk a little bit in a little bit more broad terms. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some kind of some distinctive things that that some of the major world religions might believe and why Christianity is different. What this series is about is talking about and clarifying the unique truths of the Christian faith because what makes Christianity different makes all the difference. What makes Christianity different makes all the difference. Our modern world, and here's, here's what we're going to talk about today, our modern world has this idea uh, that, that is kind of behind that question. Aren't they all the same? And aren't, you know, don't good people from all religions go to heaven? This idea of a plurality of truth. Right, I mean, this has been really popular in the last five or ten years. My truth. Well, that's not my truth. That's your truth. And we can share our truths. And the idea behind a plurality of truths of this idea of just saying, aren't they all the same? They all kind of claim some truths, and they're all basically the same, and they all kind of have some basic kind of good things. It's the, it's the belief that we, there can be multiple truths. And we want to believe that this is a modern idea, but Christianity was cast right into the scene, launched into a plurality of truth, and this was nowhere more evident than when the Apostle Paul went to visit the very epicenter of thinking and ideas, a place called Athens, Greece. The names that fill the roster of Greek philosophers, they're iconic, right? Aristotle, Socrates, Plutarch, Democritus, Epicurus, Pythagoras. We've studied them thousands of years later. We continue to study them in academics. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, he documents Paul's missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And when we pick up the scene where Paul has landed in Athens, he's been to Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And then he goes to Athens where he's kind of waiting on his ministry partners, Silas and Timothy, to get there. And while he's there, he's just sort of scoping out the town. And Athens is a place like he has never, ever visited so this is going to be found in Acts 17. If you got your Bibles at home there, you got your app open, click it over to uh, Acts 17. If you got your Bibles here and you want to look around, we're going to begin in verse 16. And if you're in the room and you don't have a Bible, there are some bookshelves on your way out, either side, and we would love for, uh, for you to grab them. So this is what it says in Acts 17, verse 16, when Paul's just kind of hanging out, waiting for Silas and Timothy to get there, and just looking around town, just walking the streets, 
probably going to a little cafe, having a cup of coffee. While Paul was waiting for them, that's Timothy and Silas in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue. He, he did some, some answering, apologeo. He reasoned with them in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. So he's, not, he's doing Jews and Gentiles as well as in the marketplace. So he just went out into the marketplace and started talking to them about like their world and their culture and their faith and their beliefs. He did this day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul goes to Athens, and what does he find? A plurality of truths. Some scholars say that there were more idols, statues of gods in Athens than all the rest of Greece combined. In fact, they had a saying that you'd meet a God before you'd meet a man in Athens. They, were, they littered the city. They were everywhere. They're like orange traffic cones, right? I mean, like, you know, the big barrels, right? They're everywhere. They were everywhere. So Paul begins to go discussing them because this is very different than what he, and his teaching, it garners some attention. I mean, the synagogue, maybe not too many people were paying attention, but man, once he goes out into the marketplace, people start listening. Some thinking Greeks start listening. Let's do the next couple of verses. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. I'm going to tell you a little bit about what, how these two groups were kind of different, but what they thought in just a second. Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, they were kind of two schools of thought, began to debate with him. Some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. So the Epicureans were almost, um, almost agnostic. They were just kind of like, you know, listen, it, 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 if there is a god, eh, the gods are pretty ambivalent to, to our way of life to our world they don't if there are gods they don't care about us they believed in matter like everything was substance everything was matter when you died you just died there wasn't like a this spiritual you didn't have the spiritual side because they believed everything was matter and it and everything was just kind of substance um they believe everything was just fate because their idea was even if there are gods they don't care too much about what's going on here on earth the Stoics were very different. They were very philosophical and very spiritual. They, they, they were almost the opposite. They believed that God was in everything and everything was God. They believed in humanity, in humans, we had a spark of the divine. And when we died, that spark went back up. Because, and they were the total opposite. Since God is in everything and everything is God, like your phone is God, your cup is God, your God, your chair is God, your Bible, you know, then everything is like directed by God because God is in everything. And they had this kind of crazy idea that sometimes God would just blow everything up and start over. At any moment, God could do that because God was kind of in everything. So that's kind of where they thought. But what Paul was teaching them was a very different message. Listen to what it says next. They said this, these strange teachings, because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. 
Paul, this is very different than what they were used to, and the difference is the resurrection. No other religion teaches it or believes it. It is the point that changes everything that we believe about eternity. The good news about Jesus is about resurrection, not religion. The good news about Jesus is not even really religion. It is about a resurrection, and that's why this idea of being good is not really a Christian idea. Because let me say this clearly. Of course anyone can be good. Of course you can be a Muslim. Of course you can be Hindu. Of course you can be atheist and be good and tip well and take your cart back to the little place at the shopping when you go to Publix, right? Because that defines good people and bad people, right? Of course you can be good, and you can say yes ma'am, and no sir, and you can be polite. Of course anyone can be good, but being good isn't the point. We don't believe that being good gains us salvation. Being good is an effect of salvation. It doesn't affect salvation. We are good because Christ has loved us. We are not good so that Christ will love us. It's a big difference. It's a big difference. And so, listen to the next part. Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. I'm going to tell you what that is. If you know a little bit about Greek philosophy, you might have heard of it. Where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. And they kind of reveal a little something about their culture. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. Like we want to know more because Luke writes... All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They were always up for a new podcast. All right, we love some ideas, so let's get together and talk. So there is an openness. They take him to this place called the Areopagus, which you can still visit today if you go to Greece. It is this big mountainous kind of hill you can actually go on top of. In Greek mythology, it is believed to be the place where the Greek god of war, Ares, anybody seen Wonder Woman? Ares was in Wonder Woman. But in Greek mythology, it is where the Greek god of Ares was tried for the murder of Poseidon's son. So it was a place where homicides were brought before the court. It was a place where um, kind of public immorality was brought before the court. It was the highest court. These were the best and deepest thinkers. It is also, in the Roman world, began to be called Mars Hill because the Roman god for war is Mars. So the Romans just sort of renamed it. So if you've ever heard, sometimes you hear that term, Mars Hill, that's talking about the Areopagus. So this is deep thinking, high kind of court in Greece. And this is what Paul says when he gets there. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. And so you see here already in Paul saying this, that religion is not the point. I see that you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship, and there's a lot of them, guys, Paul would say, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now, in our language, 
like ignorant is, that's probably not the way to start off a conversation, right? Okay, and I mean, this is a proper translation, but ignorant really isn't a bad word. The word that Paul uses here um, for ignorant is the Greek word agnaeo. It means to not know. It is where we get the term agnostic from. And at the heart, on the tomb, what he says, the inscription that he reads in the tomb that they have written in their language, it says, agnostos theos. Agnostos, we don't know, unknown, theos, God. That's where we get the term theology from. So in their language, they have even put it, like, hey, there's like, there's an unknown God here, and Paul says, there's some, th- there's some things about God that you don't know, and they have admitted this even by their altar because they're like, you know, we're just all trying to be good, and some people follow this God, and some people follow that God, and we think it'll all work out in the afterlife if you just be good. And we got that one over there to an unknown God because just in case we missed one, we wanted to make an altar for him or her. Just in case we missed one. And then Paul kind of lays out this incredible teaching. The God who made the world and everything in it. To the Epicureans, all the stuff, the matter, there is a God behind that. See, he's trying to speak their language. He knows how they think. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by human hands. Stoics, God's not exactly in everything like you think. And he is not served by human hands if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. There is something in humanity. There's not something maybe in that rock, but there's something in you, Stoics. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He is over all things. And God did this, and there's so much grace in what Paul says, so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. I love what Paul's saying. It's obvious you guys are seeking and searching for him. That's a good thing, Paul says. And then Paul does, this is one of my coolest things. You see how this has quotation marks? Do you see that? It's in the original text. It has quotation marks. Because Paul is quoting a seven to 800-year-old poem by a Greek philosopher named Epimenides. And he says, for in him... We live and move and have our being as some of your own poets have said. We are his offspring. So if anybody ever asks you, why do you go to that church that uses secular songs and movie clips, you just tell them, we're just trying to do what Paul did to reach an unchurched and lost world. We're trying to speak the language of the culture. Oh, by the way, just like Paul did in Acts 17. Use what the world understands to try to display and convey eternal truths Paul says listen there's something beyond what you've believed and I can tell that you're reaching out all these idols around town I mean even the one to the unknown God 
Like you're searching for something, and that's natural. But then Paul shares the truth that's kind of the only truth that matters. He's like, hey, your poet, 800 years ago, he had it right. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, hey, Stoics, humans don't have a spark of the divine in them. (laughs) They have the image of God all over them. We are his offspring. We were created to be his sons and daughters. Since we're his offspring, we should not think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone. All these thousands of idols you got around town are missing the point. An image made by human design and skill. We are image bearers, Paul says. We're his offspring. And then he goes on. In the past... God overlooked such ignorance. Now, again, to you and I, that's like such a bad word, right? Such a heavy word. Paul says, I mean, a better way for us to maybe understand is Paul overlooked such unknowing, such agneos. He overlooked just your inability to know, but now he commands all people everywhere to, to do what? Repent. Now, we have... We have done this word wrong for so many times in the church. Like we'd say, like, what does it mean to repent? And people's like, well, it means to do a 180. I mean, that can happen. That's beautiful when that happens, but that's not exactly what, what it means in the Bible. The Greek word for repent in the Bible means to shift your thinking, to change your mind. Paul says God has called now for everyone to change their mind about the way they think about eternity to shift the way they think about God to shift the way they think about sin of the world and our very own sin to change the way that we think about good and you want to know why this is so important Paul says this is really important you want to know why it's so important because for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed The reason I'm here, the reason I have the guts to stand up before the highest court in kind of the known thinking world is because I want to tell you that there is a day coming that he will judge the world with justice. And I want you to repent because on that final day of judgment, when there is final justice, there is no being good. There is final judgment with heavenly justice. Paul is saying, are you confident that you're being good when there is judgment up against heaven's justice that your good will be good enough? Are you convinced that all these idols have it right? Are you convinced there are multiple ways to get there? Are you convinced that you've covered all the bases and that your good will be good enough? And of course, the question that we all would ask, that they ask, that you might be asking, and that lots of people in the world ask was like, well, who says who says, <laughs> who says your truth is they, they're the truth? That's a million-dollar question, right? Who says you get to make up the rules? Who says Christianity is right? Who says your faith is the one with the authority? Who says that there's one way and not a hundred ways? Who says there can't be five ways? Who says, Paul? And he says, oh, it's, well, that's easy. 
You want to know why I know this is true? Because he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul says, don't look at me. Look at the guy who died and came back to life. The man who will be doing the judging died and came back to life. Here's the idea. Here's the question that matters, Paul says. Jesus rose from the dead. Greeks, what are you going to do about it? The resurrection clarified the conclusion and demands a decision. The resurrection clarified the conclusion and demands a decision. God is not an idea. God is alive. Jesus will bring justice through a final judgment against all that's wrong in the world. And isn't that some good news? Do you ever look at the world and say, there's so much wrong? The good news is that all the evil in the world will get judged. All the injustice of the world will come come one day under the authority of the one from whom justice rolls like a river and through righteousness of springs of righteousness. But our personal lives will be under his judgment too. And he demands a decision from me and from you. The resurrection clarified the conclusion demands a decision that's what heaven is about for christians heaven's not a reward of following religious rules it is an ongoing relationship with a resurrected king it is not that we are good it is that he is good for us and he paid the price for our judgment by giving his life for us on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and that would all have just been a good story in a leg- it would have been a legend in an anthology of mythologies until, until one breath knocked down the gates of hell, until he rose from the dead. And that demands a response for every single one of us. It proved that it was true. For eons, humanity has asked questions about the existential realities of eternity and what happens after you die and how do you get to heaven. And the problem with the questions that we all ask is that dead people stay dead, right? You can go to Dallas and tell us what Dallas is like, right? You can go to Huntsville and tell us what Huntsville is like. But the problem is that none of us have been there and done that when it comes to death. Jesus has been there, done that, and lived to tell about it. The resurrection clarified the conclusion and demands a decision. And you probably have some questions about Christianity and maybe you're like, you know, but I don't know about what the Bible says about this, and I don't know. You, go, you got questions? You got questions about how you have seen people treated in the church? You have seen people hurt? You have read stories of abuse? You should have some questions. You have questions for how you have seen Christianity get politicized and monetized? And listen, you got questions? I've got questions. And it is going to take you your whole life to answer some of those questions. It's going to take you your whole life. You're going to talk about them in small group for the next 30 or 40 or 50 years. And I I just got news for you. You're not going to get an answer to them all. 
Some of them, there's going to be ambiguity. Some of them, you're not going to be able to figure out. Some of your friends are going to disagree with you. You're going to have questions. That, it, none of that matters. What matters is this. Jesus rose from the dead, and what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Not tell me like, well, I'm not sure about what Genesis says. Okay. Jesus has risen from the dead. What are you going to do about it? Because when you get to heaven, that's the only question that's going to matter. I want you to put your faith in Jesus because there's one way you get in to believe that Jesus died for your sins, to repent of those sins, and to trust that his death and his resurrection gives you the forgiveness and victory over that sin and even death forever and ever and ever and ever. One day, you and I, we're going to stand before those gates. And I don't want you to have the wrong ticket. Especially since it's free. Because it's already been bought with the blood of the Son of God. I believe everybody in this room has a decision to make today. For some of you, you've never said yes to Jesus. Maybe a friend invited you. And I'm not asking you to like make that decision right now. You can. What I am asking for you to do is to begin a conversation. If you read a few more verses, it's so great. Some people totally rejected Paul, but there were others who said, we want to hear more about this. And I would love for you to make the decision to say, I want to hear more about this. There's a QR code, it's on the screen. If you're watching at home, it's on the screen. It's on the back of the chair in front of you, that QR code that's there every week. If you just scan that QR code, follow a link, and there's a button that you can push that says, I want to have a conversation about following Jesus, about what this is all about. And one of our pastors is going to get in touch with you this week. And we just want to chat. We just want to say, what are we going to do about this? What other questions do you have? What are we going to do about this resurrected king? Now, some of you, you made that decision years ago you're like I'm so grateful but you've got a friend that God's calling you to be a little bit of a Paul to and you can scan that same QR code and there's a button there that you can push to say I want to share this message with a friend and it's going to give you an opportunity to share that message later on today you can go ahead and open up that site and later on today it'll be linked up to our YouTube and I just want to ask you as we begin as the band leads us here in just a minute for some of you, it's to pray about, am I ready to start talking about this conversation with a pastor? And for others of you, it's about who's God calling me to share this with. I just love for you to scroll through your phone and just think about the friend that God might be calling you to have a conversation with. Because if we don't tell the world, who will? But just remember, as we share truth, we always do it with grace. You pray with me, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this Jesus who has changed us, died for us, and resurrected for us. My prayer, God, is for those who haven't made that decision would begin a conversation today. And that this moment would be a moment that begins a journey that can not just change their lives but change their eternity. Lord, I pray for friends that are in our contact list. 
who need to know that it's okay to have questions. But there is a God who sent his son to die for them, forgive them, and give them victory over death and sin. And so my prayer is that you'd already open up doors and pathways for those conversations to happen. In Jesus' name, amen. You just stay seated for just a moment and you think about those decisions.